you have your Bibles this evening and you would find the 10th chapter of Matthew as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew and, and uh, it's been a while since we've been together on Sunday night and uh, just want to remind you of where we have been in the chapters preceding we were looking at the miracles of Jesus and all that he was doing and how he was changing lives and chapter 10 changes gears it goes from Jesus working and moving and doing great and mighty things to sending out a group of people to do the work that he has asked them to do. And tonight as we celebrate the 4th of July and all that uh, we are thankful for as a country, I want to thank you for being thankful enough for the freedom to worship, to come out and worship again. And uh, it's kind of like most people, nobody cares about their freedoms until they're gone. And, uh, but the answer to our problems as a country are not uh, political, uh, they are not financial. America has a spiritual problem. Uh, we are spiritually bankrupt, and we have uh, lost our way. I uh, just recently watched the Southern Baptist Convention, and we can't even decide if we're all created equal or if, if, uh, if God calls certain individuals to be in the pulpit, and it's just a... We're not talking about the national politics. We're not talking about politics of secular employees. Or we're talking about supposed to be the most conservative biblical group of churches in the country. And it just shows the condition that we're in. And tonight as we look at chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples. They have lived with him. They have watched him work. They have watched him do great and mighty things. And tonight we finally see that Jesus says, you've watched, you've learned, you've been involved long enough. It is now time for you to go forth. And I hate to say this tonight on a Sunday night, but I'm going to say it. Many of you should already be going forth and you're still sitting and listening. There have been many people that have, have a great knowledge of the Scriptures, but refuse to share it. There are many of you tonight that have wonderful, powerful testimonies of how God has saved you and changed you and transformed your life, but no one hears it. No one knows it. Why? Because you and I can be like the disciples. We can watch the miracles of Jesus. We can watch him heal the sick. We can watch him give sight to the blind. We can watch him do all these great and mighty things. And it's easy sometimes to fall in the pattern of watching when God is actually training you to be doing. And what this world needs, what this country needs, are Bible-believing Christians who still believe that the gospel can save sinners. Listen, CNN is not going to share the gospel. As much as I like Fox News, they're not going to share the gospel. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners, that was buried and rose again, and that if you will repent of your sins and trust Him, you can be saved, was intended to be shared by one group of people, and that is the church. And I really do believe that we have lost that idea. We'll invite people to church. We'll talk to them about politics. We'll talk to them about everything under the sun. But the idea of sitting down with someone and talking to them about Jesus, for most of you tonight, is something that you're not comfortable doing. I think it's a couple reasons. One, 
I think genuinely most of us are afraid we're going to mess something up. And tonight I want you to know something. If God was big enough to save your sinful self, he is big enough to save someone else, even if you don't know all the answers. You see, that's the wonderful thing about salvation. It's not something you can talk someone into or someone else can talk them out of it. had a conversation today with a young girl who was saved this week, and I always ask them this question. If I told you today that you were not saved, what would you say? And usually the kids will look at me like, um, what are you supposed to tell the pastor when he says, what have I told you? But some of them kids look at me and say, you're wrong. I know I'm saved. And I say, that's exactly the answer I want. Because friends, tonight, if you know that you're saved, it doesn't matter what I tell you. It doesn't matter what your wife tells you. If you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, you have something and someone that has changed you. And if that's the case, then God is at work in your life. And I still believe that God wants to use you and that he wants to use me to lead people to his son through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to save people. It's not your job to convict people. It is your job to tell other people. And so tonight, the sermon title is God's plan for reaching people. God's plan for reaching people. And so tonight, we're not going to just read it all the way through because it is a substantial amount, but I want us to pray and jump right in. Father, tonight I thank you for this group of people who has congregated in this place to worship you. Father, I pray tonight that you would put on their hearts a deep desire for the people that live next to them, for the people that live in their own home. Father, for the people they've never even met to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, tonight please help us to know that you are the only way for people to be saved. Father, there's not a Baptist way, a Methodist way, a Pentecostal way, a Catholic way. Lord, it is you and you alone. And so, Father, I pray tonight that this church would have boldness to go forth in a lost and dying world and proclaim who you are and what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you give me the words to say and the wisdom to know what should or should not be said. But, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak tonight to that young child, Lord, that is ready to be saved, to that senior adult, Lord, who has convinced themselves that they're right with you, but deep down they know they're not. Lord, whatever needs to happen tonight, I pray that it would for your glory. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to take some notes with me, and I want you to write this down. God prepares and provides. God prepares and provides. Look here in verses 1 through 5, or excuse me, 1 through 4. As we begin this passage of scripture. And when he called his twelve disciples to him. He gave them power over unclean spirits. To cast them out. And to heal all kinds of sickness. And all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon who is called Peter. And Andrew his brother. James the son of Zebedee. And John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. I want you to see here in verses 1 that God gave them the authority. 
God gave them the authority to work miracles. I believe today that God still works miracles. I believe that God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. But I also believe that when a culture becomes miracle-working seekers, that God does not use that to reach people. See, Jesus even said, right, if the miracles that had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that had been done to you, that they would have what? Believed. And so we know that it is not miracles that God uses to save. God uses them to show that the power of God is at work. And many of you tonight have testimonies that God has healed you or that God has delivered you or that God has worked. And those are powerful things that God uses. And God uses them to reach people. But I want you to see something here. It was not in the power of the person. It was the power in the one who was giving it. And tonight I want you to know that because sometimes people get this identity that Jacob Gray, I can just walk along the children's hospital and heal every single child. I want you to look up here tonight. If faith healers on television really could do what they said they would do, why don't they start at the cancer center at Barnes? Why don't they start in the cancer center in Memphis? I believe God heals children with cancer. We've seen it here. I believe God heals old people with cancer. And none of you are old enough to be old people. Don't worry, okay? I believe that God does that. But friends, be very careful when someone walks along and says, I can do this and I can do that. Because what we see here is God gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. God provided what they need. And tonight your ministry might look totally different from that. Tonight you might be dreading, which I know Continental is, is shut down this week, so some of you guys are a, a whole lot happier than usual. But uh, you, you're thinking about that. Man, I'm going to go work on that machine. I'm going to go sit in that break room. And that person that's going to sit next to me is a heathen. Holy cow, he's got a foul mouth and he's got a dirty mind and, he, and, he, and he's, he's just a heathen. And so what God is providing for you tonight might be the wisdom to live a godly life that that person sees something different about you. God might provide, be providing for you tonight the patience not to slap them when they say something that they shouldn't. God might be giving you the, the wisdom to know how to respond when difficulty comes. You see, just because you're not curing cancer or giving sight to the blind, many times we think that what God is asking me to do is not important. It's not uh, something that matters. But yet maybe tonight God is calling you to be a, a Christian mother to your children and, and God is willing to provide what you need to be patient when all six of them are screaming at the same time. I'll tell you how well I do with screaming, crying children. I drove separate to Kentucky Lake. And on the way back, I didn't know what to do with our trash. So I put it in the van and I hauled it all the way to McLeansboro rather than riding with six screaming children. Why? Because I just can't handle it. And I'm telling you, something happens to me when they don't stop crying. And I don't understand why they don't stop crying. But maybe God has given you patience to understand and to love and to give a kind word. But not only does God give us what we need, God calls us to do what he wants of us. Look what it says there in those verses. It talks the name of the apostles. And they all serve a purpose. You see on there, Simon, who is called Peter, who wrote some of the New Testament. You see here, Matthew, who writes this book. And 
But yet we see there the very last one, right? The one that is most famous usually because it's quoted in secular movies. It's quoted in all kinds of things. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. You see, God knew that Judas would betray him. I don't believe that God caused Judas to betray him because I don't believe that God causes anyone to sin. I believe we sin when our desires give way to temptation and our temptation gives birth to sin. But he knew it and yet chose him anyway. Do you ever think about that? I mean, just think about why God would allow that to happen. One, because someone had to betray Jesus. I know that. But I believe, too, it was to train the disciples to deal with betrayal, to deal with persecution, to deal with what it looks like when someone that you have invested in, someone you have poured into, betrays you. Because it happened to Jesus, it happened to the disciples. The Apostle Paul writes much of the New Testament. And at the end of almost every letter, right, he talks about this person who didn't come, this person who abandoned him, this person who failed him. And I believe it's important tonight because many of us put our dependence on serving God on what other people think. Right, I'd go to church tonight, but my wife don't want to go. Well, get them, come anyway. Well, we'd come to church tonight, but... They're nothing for kids, and and Pastor Jake preaches a long time, and so just bring him anyway. Well done, Paula. Bring him anyway. Bring him anyway. I'm telling you, that's what has to happen. God's people have to say, I know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I know what God wants for me in my life. I know what God can do through me, and I'm going to do it no matter what anyone says. If 10 Mile don't have church, I'll find a group of heathens that aren't having church, and I'll go worship with them. Why? Because when God's people get together, God is at work, and God is moving, and God is working. I always like to tease people that when the pastor's away, the congregation will play. Right? Because some people will come just because the preacher's here. But if he's going to be gone, it's like, boy, the lake looks a little better and no one's taking attendance. I don't take attendance anymore. It's someone else. So you're out of luck even when I'm not here. Or someone would say, well, you know, our Sunday school teacher's on vacation this week. Maybe we ought to take a couple weeks off too. You see, my service to God and your service to God should depend on no one else other than your love for him. It doesn't matter if a pastor fails you. It doesn't matter if a deacon fails you. It doesn't matter if a church fails you. Because what we see here is that God calls them and God equips them. You say, Jake, I can never trust anyone again because I was married and my marriage ended. And and I just, I don't know how how to get over that. God is the answer. God is the one that can teach you how to forgive. God's the one that can teach you how to love. God's the one that can teach you how to put these things back together. Because God prepares And God provides. But the second thing I want to show you tonight, as God sends these men out, is that God has a purpose and a plan. God has a purpose and a plan. It starts here in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of Samaritans, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preaching, say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, clean the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. 
For whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it that is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If a household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from the house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. We see here that God had a strategy to reach people, and it started with the Jews. He tells them that there is coming a day when the Gentiles will be reaped, but I am going to give the Jewish people another opportunity to be saved. I'm going to give them another opportunity to embrace Him as the Lord and Messiah. And tonight I want you to hear that because I think it is important. God does not do things on accident. God made a promise to the Jewish people and He will honor that promise. But even in the midst of their betrayal, even in the midst of their rebellion, He continued to be merciful. He continued to give them chance after chance after chance after chance. And tonight I want you to think about this because God will operate the same way with you and I. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. That God desires that none, that none should die and go to hell. And so this idea of God wanting to reach people is based not on the goodness of you and I, not on the greatness of our strategy, but on the fact that God loves sinners. God loves broken people. And so we see this plan that it's not an accident, and he tells them exactly what to say. He says, you go and you preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, if there is ever a time that God's people should be preaching the gospel, it is now. Because today we are one day closer to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. Tomorrow we will be one day closer than when he comes. But the problem is this. I really think that most of us don't believe he's coming in our lifetime. Now, I know that's a mean statement to say, and it's probably not the thing that you wanted me to say, but I really believe that most of us have grown up in church so long, and we've heard preachers yell about it, scream about it, encourage us, almost scold us for not sharing our faith, that we believe he's coming back, but he's not coming back here in my lifetime. But friends, you have to live every day believing that this could be the day. You need to buy your bananas yellow and not green, as the old saying goes. Now, that doesn't mean you don't plan. That doesn't mean you don't prepare. But friends, if you want to talk to someone about Jesus, if God lays it on your heart, today should be that day. Because even if Jesus doesn't return, the Bible tells us that tomorrow is not promised. Now, I know that you have probably heard stories like this, and you probably even have stories like this of someone that dies and you've wondered. Wonder if anyone talked to them about Jesus. I wonder if anyone shared the good news. I had the privilege three years ago, I believe it was, to be walking through the hospital about 9.30 at night at McLeansboro, and I was going to see someone else, and a man was there who had spent his whole life publicly telling people that he was not a Christian, publicly telling pastors and people that had come to witness to him 
that he was not saved, that he wasn't a Christian, that he didn't believe in heaven and hell. And for whatever reason, the individual had, had, had really been struggling and, and, um, and just really had a hard time. And so as I was going to talk to this other person, and I'll never forget it, it was right across from the nurse's desk. I just stuck in my head in there and set, called him by name. And he said, yeah, I'm still up. And I, I went in there and I just talked to him about the gospel and about salvation. And he said, yes, I, I believe. Yes, and we talked about it. And he gave his heart and life to Jesus. And if you know me, uh, I don't think very well. <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to his family. I didn't even get a chance to, to talk to anybody except for a few people at church. And, and he died. And his family called and said, can you come down here? And I came into the room and they all were crying because they genuinely knew that their dad was in hell. And friends, I want you to hear it tonight. If you die without Jesus, hell will be your eternal home. Doesn't matter what Joel tells you or Joyce tells you or some other heathen on television. The Bible says without Jesus, judgment is coming. And that conversation was happening and I was able to tell them that actually I, was, I had the privilege of leading your father to the Lord right there in that hospital room. Now, one of two things could have happened. One, I was dumb for not telling them sooner. But as you know, things in life just happen. But two, friends, I just wonder sometimes. What if you just walked on by? What if you said, oh, he's old. He's not in his right mind. He, you know, he, he's probably asleep or who knows what. And trust me, I've used those excuses and walked right by rooms. One time a door was shut and I knew that I should go in and talk to somebody. I just knew that I needed to go in there and pray with them and talk to them. And, you know, I don't think my kids had a ball game or our, our cat was sick or who knows what it was. And I was in a hurry and I just, I walked right on by. Walked right on by. Friends, I'm telling you today that you do not know what God is doing in someone's heart. Friends, it ain't you that shows up and makes things start to happen you just show up after God is already at work in their life. You get to be a part of what God is doing, how God is working, how God is changing lives. And what we see here is he tells them to go. You don't need to take anything with you. You don't need to provide what you need. I will provide for you. And so tonight, if you're saying, I knew we shouldn't pay the preacher, there you go. There you can use that verse to say it, preacher. Just go around with nothing, no two pair of shoes. You just go around and that'll be fine. I'll flip hamburgers at McDonald's and get a free meal a day, amen? And so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't need a free meal a day. But uh, it says that, right? This idea that he sends them out and he sends them out with nothing because why? When you have nothing, you realize just how much Jesus is. I believe that's why in our desperation and in our lowest points, we turn to God because in those moments, we have nothing, nothing other than Him. Why is it that when a cancer diagnosis hits your family, that people begin to pray? Why is it when, when trouble at church happens, we who have started to go through the motion really get serious about prayer? Why is it that when trouble falls to our children or their marriages, that we really begin to pray? Why? Because in the moments of things going well, we think that we have what we need. But Jesus is teaching them, I am your supply. He even says here this idea of Christian hospitality. He says, take them in, take care of them, 
Let them stay. Don't worry, I won't sell my house and start going through the list alphabetically looking for a home to move in with, all right? That's not going to happen. You don't have to worry. And all the A's are thinking, oh, don't let it fall to me. Don't let it fall to me. I think Adams's is the first, so uh, we'll tell them when they get back to church. So, no, I'm just kidding. So, yeah, they're the first on the list. But, uh, uh, so, but that's this idea, right, that they were to trust God to provide. They were to trust that God would lay it on someone else's heart to take them in. Because why? It was all about building trust for those individuals in the God that was going to be with them. And you say, well, Jake, I can't imagine having no money, not having an extra pair of shoes, not having a place to live. But I want to show you here in verse 14. Because what God is asking them to trust him with here is nothing compared to what is coming. In verse 14 it says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Than for that city. He says, if a city doesn't want the gospel, if they're not going to respond, there are other towns. Move on. And I think this is hard for us for Christians. I think it's hard for us to give up on people. And God's not telling you to do that. He was telling the original 12 disciples as they were going forth on their mission. And so don't quit praying for your lost family member. Don't quit sharing the gospel with that lost co-worker. Keep doing what God has asked you to do. Because the third and final thing is this tonight, and I'll try to be as quick as possible, is God's people in persecution. You see, God called them and equipped them. God told them to go forth and to trust him. But yet what we're getting ready to see is that God is going to have to provide for them much greater than money or shoes or homes. Because listen to what it says in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I don't know if you're noticing that or not, but not having an extra pair of shoes is one thing. Not having a belt full of money is one thing. But if you've ever seen what wolves do to sheep, that's a little bit different. We're not talking about a wore-out sandal here. What do wolves do to sheep? They kill them. And so the idea of trusting God to provide your basic needs is one thing. But now he says, behold, I send you. He says, I am going to take you from where you are and send you right into the people who want to kill you, want to murder you, want to take your life. And he says, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. I want to stop right there because God is asking them to trust Him with their life. He's asking them to trust Him in what to say. But just like this chapter opened with God provided what they needed to perform the miracles, it says that God will be the one 
speaking. Now, I've heard sermons preached from pastors that that's why I don't study for a sermon. Right? I just get up there on Sunday morning. I just open my Bible. I put my finger in there, and the Lord provides. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do that, but that is not what this text is telling you to do. Right? He is telling the original disciples, the original apostles, that he will speak for them. I believe God can still do that today. But what that really means from a pastor is, I'm just too lazy to study. I'm just too lazy to prepare. I'm just too lazy to pray. But for these men, it was life or death. For these men, they were giving answers to people who in one comment could take their lives. In one comment could have their families murdered. In one family could confiscate all their property and possessions. And God tells them to what? Trust me. And tonight you're probably not facing the same threat that they are. But it's coming. I want you to to listen tonight. America has judgment coming. There is no other way around it. God cannot not judge America. There is no way unless he sends revival. Unless the people of God repent. There is no way. We have reaped. We have sowed and sowed and sowed wickedness. And judgment is coming. I pray that God will send revival. I pray that God stirs up hearts. But you know how God is going to send revival to you and me? First, it's a love for him. And then it's a love for other people and wanting to share with them about Jesus. Now, I'm glad when people vote the same way I do. I have no problem telling you how I vote as soon as church is over. I'd be more than happy to tell you how I vote and how I hope my kids are going to vote for after I'm gone. And, and I hope after I die that I don't vote the other way. But anyway... Um, That's not the answer, right? Righteousness exalts a nation. It takes the people of God saying, we are going to avoid sin. We're going to flee the sin that's in our own life. And we're going to be willing to tell people that they are sinners, but that God loves them. You see, friends, I don't know if you know this or not, and I probably won't make any of you mad, but the viewers online, I probably will. We have lost the courage to call sin, sin. We've lost it. We sit in restaurants and we whisper, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about that? Friends, one, you shouldn't be gossiping about people anyway. You ought to be praying. But friends, when the Bible speaks to the abomination of homosexuality, someone's got to speak up. When God speaks to the sanctity of marriage, someone has to speak up. When God speaks against the horrors of pornography and lust and those things someone has to speak up when God speaks to the sin of 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 gambling and wickedness and drunkenness someone has to speak up I don't want to speak up I'll be honest with you I would be more than happy to get along with everybody stay in my corner of Dalgren one mile north nobody bothers me I like all my neighbors we all get along no trouble I'm good right there but friends if God's people Don't tell people what God says about sin. We are guilty of sin. I want to want you to miss that tonight. For him to know to do good and not to do it, it is what? It is sin. For a Christian to not share the gospel, I believe is sin. For a Christian to stand by and let other people talk about sin as something that is not wrong, I believe is sin. 
You say, Jake, but I'm not doing it. I believe that if the conversation is brought up and God gives you the opportunity to speak up and you don't, it's sin. I believe that. You might not agree with me. That's okay. You can be wrong on the 4th of July just like you can any Sunday night. But friends, I'm telling you, unless we're willing to tell people that they need a Savior, that they have a problem, we shouldn't expect them to want one. I want you to think about it like this. Put a brand new set of tires on your car. You go into Tefa Tillers or wherever you have your tires rotated, and they say, those 3,000-mile tires, we think you ought to replace them. First thing you're going to say is, absolutely. I'd love to spend $800 on a new set of tires. You just take them old ones off and just throw them away. It's not a problem at all. I'd love to spend the money. No, your first response is going to be, what's wrong with them? Why would I replace a perfectly good set of tires? That doesn't make any sense. There's nothing wrong with them. But that's when they tell you, well, all four of them have a defect, and if you keep driving, they're going to split wide open, your car's going to run off in a ditch, and you're going to run into a ravine, and your car's going to blow up, and your kids and you are going to die. Then you're going to say, I'd like some tires, please. But friends, what we've convinced people is, is there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have a problem. God made you exactly how you are, and you should celebrate it. But what God says is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. Friends, we've lost it. Romans 1, the Apostle Paul speaks to the list of things that become depraved in a nation. In Galatians 5, Paul lists the fruit of the flesh. And we have to get back to the understanding that I absolutely have one desire when I preach about sin. It is for you to know the forgiver of sin. When I preach against the things that will destroy your marriage and your life, it is not because I want you to leave feeling terrible about yourself. It is because I want the Spirit of God to show you that there is someone who can cure you, someone that can heal you, someone that can restore you. But friends, if you don't see the problem, you will never see the solution. And what we have are millions of people on their way to hell who have no belief that that's where they're going. God couldn't send me to hell. God couldn't judge me. But yet the Bible says clearly that we will be known by our fruit. So tonight I want to challenge you, Christian, to trust God enough to speak His truth no matter who you're in front of, no matter who you're around. Because listen to what it says in verse 21. And I'll quickly come to the end. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father his child. And children will rise up against parents. And cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city. Flee to another. For assuredly I say to you. You will not have gone through the cities of Israel. Before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, 
how much more will they call those of his household? But this is the key in verse 26. And I want you to read verse 26 with me. The first part. Therefore, do not fear them. Friends, that is how Satan works through fear. If you speak up, you're a bigot. If you speak up, you can't have a job. If you speak up, you can't be a loving person. If you speak up, you have a problem. If you speak up, you're a racist. If you speak up, you're whatever it is. And so they have caused the people of God to be afraid, to be fearful. But God tells us in five words what I wish someone would have the courage to preach in most churches. Therefore, do not fear them. It is specific. It is specific to the people who hate God. Don't fear them. It is to the judge who is an atheist and hates Christ. Do not fear them. It is to the ACLU that would love to remove Jesus from everything. Do not fear them. It is to that family member who is living a lifestyle that, re- that comes against what the Bible says. Do not fear them. Look what it says as it finishes out. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. And hidden that will not be known. Jesus knows the persecution that's coming. Jesus knows what you're going to go through. And Jesus says you will be treated like him. Now let's be very clear here because he's talking to the twelve. But I don't know if you know this or not. But their persecution started after his crucifixion. And we know from church history that with the exception of the apostle John, all of the disciples, excluding Judas, were most likely martyred for their faith. You see, God wants you to trust him no matter the earthly results. But just imagine if that original 11 had not trusted God enough to be faithful. Today you are here because God entrusted the good news of Jesus to them. And they preached the gospel in the book of Acts. and Thousands were saved. And those thousands went to the countries that they came from. And preached the gospel. And hundreds of years ago, Christians came across the ocean to this country. Set up Christian communities. Shared the good news of Jesus. And today you and I are recipients of that faith. And friends, my question to you is, will the next generation be the recipient of our faithfulness? Will we continue to share the gospel in our country? Will we continue to share the gospel in our neighborhood? Will we continue to share the gospel in our small community? Because if we don't, the world will not. And So friends, my question to you tonight is do you have the courage to trust God in what he's asking you to do? You see, I believe that you preach against sin because God can forgive any sin. I believe it doesn't matter if you're a drunkard. I don't believe it if you're self-righteous. I don't believe if you struggle with the sin of whatever it is. I believe that God can save you because we are all sinners. You might sin differently than me. Your struggle might not be the same as mine. But for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is only one answer for the problem of sin. 
And his name is Jesus. And he showed that to us by dying upon the cross, by being buried and rising again. And tonight, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never called upon his name to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Tonight, God wants to save you. God wants to forgive you of your sin. And so here in just a moment, when we begin this time of invitation tonight, I'm going to be standing right down here, and I'm going to ask that you'd step out and come. Step out and come, and I'd love to show you what the Bible says about being born again. Maybe tonight you know that you're saved, but boy, you sure have been scared to talk about Jesus and the things of God because of them. Because of them. Tonight, I'm going to ask you to trust God and say, therefore, do not fear them. Doesn't matter how prestigious they are, how wealthy they are. Doesn't matter how much influence they have. Jesus said, do not fear them. You see, I believe that fear controls most people. Fear of what other people think. Fear of what other people say. You need to understand something that God said, do not fear them. Trust him tonight. So maybe you're saying, Jake, I know there's someone in my family that's lost and I want to talk to them, but boy, I don't think they'd handle it well. Do not fear them. And so for you that are saved tonight, I'm going to ask that you do something. Whether it's on a piece of paper in front of you, it's a offering bulletin in front of you, want to write another check and, and use the scrap piece of paper, that's fine too. I want you to write that verse, the first part of that verse. Therefore, do not fear. And I want you to write in a name. The person that you love that's not saved, but you're worried about pushing them farther away. The person in your life that's living in sin and you know that God wants you to talk about them. I want you to write their name. Because them is pretty easy when it's not the person I love the most. You know who it's the most difficult to talk to about sin in my life? One, me. But two, my own family. My wife. Now, I know what you're thinking. She doesn't sin. She does, okay? I've corrupted her, okay? But we're trying. And, uh, but it's hard for us to have conversations about my sin, her sin. It's hard for me to have conversations with you about your sin and you with me. Why? Because hopefully we love one another. And so tonight I'm going to ask you to take that scrap piece of paper. Maybe you've got a list of people 30 long, but you need a big piece of paper. And write, therefore, do not fear whoever it is. And I'm going to ask that you to come and pray for that name. That God would convict them. That God would deal with them. And that God would save them. And that you could look back and say, Lord, thank you for giving me the ability to overcome my fear. And Lord, thank you for convicting them of their sin and saving them from that sin. Tonight, maybe it's something else. I have no idea what else you're struggling with, but tonight I hope that you'll make it a matter of prayer. Hopefully tonight, you'd pray for your country because, friends, it is in bad shape. But I believe God can do amazing things. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe you want to come and pray for the kids that are going to be serving here tomorrow and this week. Whatever it is. After we pray, let God have his way. Stand tonight with me as we pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, and I pray that I have spoke your word, not my opinions. Lord, I pray that if it has come across that way, Lord, 
That was not my intent. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people that believe Jesus changes lives. Lord, he can change my life. Lord, he can change someone else's life. Lord, that he is able. Father, I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in the lives of this group of people. Lord, that he would bring conviction, that he'd bring encouragement. Lord, that he would bring salvation tonight. Lord, I pray for that individual that knows they need to be saved or they're ready to be saved. Lord, or, or maybe they've, they've prayed and asked you into their heart and life, Lord, but yet have never told a soul that tonight you'd give them the courage to do that. And so, Father, whatever happens tonight, we ask that you'd get the credit, and Lord, that it would be for your glory. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.